Welcome to an inspiring message from Awaken City Church. For more information about us, visit awakencity.com.au. We're in this season right now where we're talking about at the table. And the idea is that at the core of everything that Jesus wants to build through His people is through a people in community with one another. A people connected, who, who want to be connected, who actually enjoy being connected, who, who almost build their life together around the table. And if you happen to read the book of Acts, which uncovers the beginning of the very first local church, you'll see there shockingly in Acts chapter 2 that the table was pivotal to building points of connection so that people could embrace the call of God in their lives. So we're talking about what it means to be at the table. And last week, I had the honour of interviewing our Connect pastor, Harrietta, who is one of the most amazing people I know. <laughs> Phenomenal. Oozes hospitality and grace. And today we wanted to interview our kids pastor, Carly Hazeldean, who is amazing. Her, along with our amazing Kids Church team, lead an amazing ministry that is happening right now, each and every Sunday. We do not put on a babysitting club. We do not put on a crèche. We put on Kids Church. And our kids are being discipled even now. And Carly with the amazing team do this. And Carly's story inspires me. But Carly... uh, Thankfully, uh, we we were able to sit down and interview her during the week because she wasn't going to be available this Sunday because of her daughter's dance competition. So I wanna encourage you to imagine that I'm sitting at the table with Carly right now and we're having a quick discussion about what it means to follow Jesus for yourself. Let's have a look, church. So I think for a very long time, God was just an idea, like of something bigger and something that as a person wanted better for my life. I just, I think I've always just known that God is, you know, He's the higher being, He wants the best for us, He loves us, all those things. But I think one of the biggest things, and it was years after my journey um, of coming to church that I was in the car after one night service and I just had this realisation that God loves me. (laughs) Like, He's my Father, so I'd always, Kind of like he was always God, but he was never Father God. And then I was in the car and I was like, oh my gosh, like Father God, he loves me. Like, and I made all that connection and it just became real for me. I think for me, it made, um, it, it gave me that belonging and the purpose of such things. So, you know, I, I've got two fathers, two physical fathers. I've got my biological father and my stepdad. And I think that night in the car when I realised God loved me for me, um, and that he would never let me down was the kind of defining moment. Being part of a church for me was um, one, having a place that I could come to where I was um, getting a a proper, you know, this is who God is, teaching, talking about the Bible, being around people that are like-minded. And then I had my children, and then I was like, oh my gosh, this is so much bigger than me. Church needs to be here for my children because I want them to have that foundation. Um, I wanted that to be their, their ground, their like thing to go by because I didn't have that really. And then obviously when you go through life experiences and things happen in your life, um, this was my sanctuary. Being in a church community, it's not about the people or the church, it's about you yourself. So it's about how much you're involved, how much you're giving out to make those connections and relationships happen. 
So I, I was coming to church for quite a while before I actually did any serving in the church and um, I, it was never my church. I never called it my church. It was always, um, I came here because I lived down this way and my brother and sister-in-law came here. So um, I was like, you know what? I'll just go to their church. They've already got a church to go to, you know, I'll go to their church. I hadn't had my own, like, this is my home. But then when I did start serving, um, it kind of gave me a purpose when I came to church on a Sunday, like that I was actually doing something. And I think the biggest thing about the serving component was the fact that I was making connections when I did it without really knowing it. I, a lot of the connections that I've made through Info Central, I still have today. And then from there, I just went and put my fingers in every pie and just wanted to serve everywhere where I could. I think the biggest thing that I can see myself through serving is the fact that I've put myself out of my comfort zone on a number of occasions. The growth that you feel from doing things and accomplishing things that you thought you would never do is an accomplishment in itself, you know? And then the fact that I'm doing it for the house and I'm doing it for my children and I'm doing it for the next generation is what pretty much drives me. So I think the biggest thing that people probably struggle with is the mindset of, oh, they just want me to do something. They want me to do a job. Um, they want a piece of me. And I, I didn't see that. I wasn't really giving into the church because I hadn't made that decision to make it my own. Serving one helps you get connected because that's what it did for me. Um, it gives you a sense of purpose and belonging. So I think um, sometimes people look at it as a chore, like it's, oh, something I've got to do. But serving's not like that because when you come and serve, you're actually putting into the house of God, you're actually taking as well. Without it being a, I'm doing this to get something, um, you are actually getting something in return when you're doing what you're doing in the house of God, no matter what it is, you know. You could be serving on the front door, saying hello to people when they come in. Um, Numerous times I've had people coming into the kids' church and they're not having a good day and it's their time to roster. And they've said to me, you know, I really didn't want to come today or it was a real struggle to get here. And then at the end of the service, they're like, I'm so glad I came. Like it was so good to serve. It was so good to have the kids ask questions for me to speak into their lives. Um, yeah, so, and I think that was the one thing that I always used to get, even just coming to church as well. So, you know, you don't come to get something, but you do. Whew. Carly, uh, she dropped the mic with that one, like, mic drop. Man, people inspire me. I'm inspired by the stories of people who get to live out what it means to follow Jesus for themselves. I'm inspired by the fact that our kids' pastor joined us initially and it wasn't her church. It was always somebody else's church. She went to somebody else's church. Do you go to church? Yeah, I go to such and such's church. But there's a shift that comes when people are able to say, it's my church. Is it my church because it's mine because I own it? No, it's not mine because I don't own it. It belongs to Jesus. It belongs to none of us. What, what's it, what's, what does mine mean? It's, it's mine because I belong to it. I, 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 I don't own it, but, but I belong to it. And in belonging to it, I have opportunity for God to utilise the gifts and the abilities that He gives. 
See, here's the truth. God is not looking to use you. He's not. He's looking to utilise you, to partner with you. Do you know how amazing that is? That God by His Spirit wants to partner with you so you can live out everything you were created to be. I love this idea that we get to do life at the table. We get to do life sitting around doing life together, sometimes shoulder to shoulder in action. Sometimes it's through pressing in and, and, and giving of ourselves in ways that we never expected and it brings life. It doesn't take away. Especially when our heart is in the right place. If we're looking simply to, to meet some unmet need through serving people, there's no need that will ever meet enough. But when we're willing to give out of the fact that we know we are loved by God and because we are loved by God, we get to love others, we benefit and the best comes out in us. I believe that life is meant to be lived at the table, the table with Jesus. And if you were to read through the first four books of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, you would read through the accounts of people, many of them eyewitness to the ministry of Jesus of Nazareth, a man who lived over 2,000 years ago, who was much more than a simple man, much more than a prophet or a teacher. The reality that those first four books of the New Testament, the, 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 of, of the Scriptures, it unpacks the reality that Jesus is God in flesh. And He above all is worthy of following and if you read through those books, if you went home today and for whatever reason just had with jazz to open up the Scriptures, you'd notice a lot of different things. You'd notice how Jesus never descended to the culture He was in. He always rose above it. You'd notice how Jesus, when presented with need, was able to meet it with what He had, which was an abundance. You'll never find Him drawing on empty. You'll always find Him full and overflowing. And one of the things that you'll find is that He seemed to spend a lot of time at the table. There's so many Scriptures about Jesus reclining at the table, having meals with people, hanging out, doing life with them. It almost seems at different points, Jesus was accused of being a drunkard because He just hung out with people so much. Jesus loves to hang. We serve a God who loves to hang. Jesus is not out there on the highways and the byways cutting along, ordering people to do this or that or this or that. What He does is He invites people to follow Him for themselves and they can choose not to. Everybody that Jesus approached and said, come follow me, He didn't wait for them. He set out on adventure and they had the choice to respond or not. It's an invitation. It's an opportunity. We have a part to play. God does not control you. He doesn't make you do anything. You are in command of your own heart because you are created in the image of God and you have an opportunity to respond or not. And so when I read through the Scriptures and I read of times where Jesus was having meals with people, so much jumps out. And I wanna read one account to you now if I can. It comes out of John chapter 13, verse one to 17. And I promise I won't stay seated for the whole message, but I wanna read this to you about Jesus at the table. It says this, Before the Passover festival, Jesus knew that His hour had come to depart from this world to the Father. 
Having loved His own who are in the world, He loved them to the end. Something I just need to highlight here, says that Jesus knew that His hour had come to depart. I just wanna highlight, doesn't mean that He was finished. Depart means that He was going to the next stage of His adventure, which was to be seated at the right hand of the Father in heaven so that He could send His Spirit to fill the hearts of those who follow Him. Jesus is still at work today. He's not finished with you yet. Verse two said, now when it was time for supper, who loves supper? It's hard to define what supper is sometimes. Is supper having a chocolate cookie with a rooibos tea? There you go, did I say it right? Yeah. Yes, taking years of practice. Is supper a Milo? Is, is supper having a second dinner? That's my daughter, Zoe. She's hilarious. She'll eat dinner and then within 15 minutes, she's back and says, what else can I eat? <laughs> and she, she's not talking about just, just something light. She's talking about a full meal again. Come on, her idea of supper is to feast. Now, when it was time for supper, there was an uninvited guest, the devil, the enemy, had already put it in the heart of Judas, Simon Iscariot's son, to betray him, Jesus. The account is that Jesus had 12 core people who he invested into, along with many others. Anybody who came to Jesus was welcome. He never turned anybody away. He didn't have some exclusive club that disqualified people if they were willing to follow Him. But what He did have is intentionally He invited 12 to have a more intimate relationship with Him. And these 12 He'd picked out, they'd, they'd left their, their commerce, they'd left their, their adventures in business, they'd left their whole lives to choose to follow Jesus for themselves. But one of them was set up to betray Jesus. Could you imagine that sitting at a table with somebody that you knew was preparing to stab you in the back and yet choosing to sit there and do what you could to make a difference regardless. The devil had already put it into the heart of Judas, Simon Iscariot's son to betray him. Verse three, Jesus knew that the Father had given everything into His hands, that He had come from God and that He was going back to God. So, he got up from supper, laid aside his outer clothing, took a towel and tied it around himself. Next, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet and to dry them with the towel tied around him. You know what shocks me about this little portion here? It says that Jesus knew exactly who he was. Jesus knew that he had everything. Could you imagine having everything? having access to everything, having an unlimited resource at your hands. It's like having a credit card and going shopping, but knowing that you'll never have to pay back the debt. Like you can just get whatever you want. You can max that thing out. You want a PlayStation 5? Go for 10. <laughs> Don't stop. Jesus had everything. Because the truth is that everything was kept together by Him. But it says, in that, what did He do? He got up. He got up from the table and He knelt down in front of those who are so far below Him. He who is the highest made Himself the lowest. It says He took off His outer garment, 
doesn't mean he was stripping off. It meant that he was taking off the mantle, the, 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 the thing that covered him, the, the thing of worth. See, that garment we know later on when he's crucified, that thing was worth money because everybody wanted a piece of it. And he takes off this thing that is like the best Armani jacket you could be wearing. And he's there in his Levi jeans, if they rocked it back then, and white T-shirt. And he stoops himself down by kneeling in front of people for a purpose. He takes a basin of water and he begins to wash their feet. Now, I, I, I do have to say, I just have to mention in our culture, that's not something that we regularly do. And you know what? It would just be weird if after this message you go home and everybody who walks in your house, you offer to wash their feet. Don't do that. <laughs> Don't do that. That's not what the Scripture is saying. So when you read the Bible, you've got to understand it was written at a day and a time that is different to ours. Here's what would happen. See, if you're walking around the countryside in that era, you weren't rocking Jordans. You weren't rocking Nikes. You weren't rocking any, anything. You were rocking open-soled thongs, sandals. <laughs> I am Australian, so I meant what I said when I said songs. And you would get the dirt and the muck and the mire all over your feet. It was impossible to go through life with clean feet. And if you went to somebody's house and they were well-to-do, but only if they were well-to-do, they would own slaves. And slaves would have the honour or the dishonour of stooping down and cleaning everything off your feet. These people were not thanked for their duties. They were treated like the scum of the earth. Now, not every family could do that or afford to do that. So what they would often do if they were of middle class standing is that you would walk in to have a meal and you would have to clean your own feet. And here, Jesus in this culture gets down on His knees and starts cleaning the feet of those that He's journeyed with, He's invested in, He's given everything else to, and now He's gonna give more. He's gonna show them that He is here to serve. See, in our culture today, there's nothing quite like it. It's, it's sort of, I was imagining it this. Imagine Jesus walked into your house this afternoon, knocked on your door, said, hi, I'm Jesus. I've come in to hang out. Oh, do you have any washing that you need done? <laughs> Can you imagine Jesus right now, today, going to your washing basket and taking every item out one by one? and putting it one by one into the washing machine, setting things on uh, order and then hanging it out for you one by one. Could you imagine, how would you feel? So Jesus does this with His disciples and they are feeling exposed. They are feeling like this should not be. Verse six, He came to Simon Peter, who asked Him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Could you just imagine the shock? Jesus answered him, what I'm doing, you don't realise now, but afterwards you will understand. You will never wash my feet, Peter said. And Jesus replied, if I don't wash you, you have no part with me. 
I love how invitational Jesus is, but also how clear He is. You want in on this? Let me do my work. You want to be a part of this? Let me help you. The door is always open if we allow Him in. Verse 9, Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not only my feet then, but also my hands and my head. Like Jesus, if you're going for the feet, do all of me. And Jesus says, one who has bathed, Jesus told him, doesn't need to wash anything except his feet, but he is completely clean. You are clean, but not all of you. For he knew who would betray him. This is why he said, not all of you are clean. When Jesus had washed their feet and put on His outer clothing, He reclined again, sat again at the table. And He said to them, Do you know what I've done for you? So you call me teacher and Lord, and you are speaking rightly, since that is what I am to you. But if I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I've given you an example that you also should do just as I've done for you. Truly, I tell you, a servant is not greater than his master. Let me say that again. Truly, I tell you, a servant is not greater than his master and a messenger is not greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, you are blessed if you do them. See, church, I want to talk about the importance of living life at the table, but it's more than sitting at the table. It's more than enjoying a meal. It's, it's more about what difference we're willing to make along the way. Jesus has just had supper and has humbled Himself to the point of appearing to them as if He is their slave, but He's not. He's the King of all kings the Lord of all lords, but yet He chooses to value them even above what they would value themselves. This was so shocking that Simon Peter, somebody who's been following Jesus for three years, is so shocked that Jesus would be willing to do this that He rejects it outright. Until Jesus says, if you really want to be part of what I'm doing, you've got to let me work in you and with you. Church, I've got to say, we have to choose to live life at the table because when you live life at the table and you follow the one called Jesus, here's what happens. You learn to value others above yourself. You learn to value others above yourself. And I know that is screeching against the culture that we're in. I know that is going against everything that would be out there about putting ourselves above. But the truth is, if you really wanna find your life, you've got to lose it. The truth is, is that you really want to be everything you're called to be. You've got to give it away. But you've got to give it away in a very specific way. You've got to give it away by loving God and loving people. By choosing to give what you have and making a difference in the lives of others. See, to the extent we value others is the extent that we give them worth and God changes our heart along the way. It's almost like we become what we value. Like if we really value the opportunity to make a difference in the lives of people, we will take hold of every opportunity we can to make that change happen. You can be the difference in somebody else's world if you're willing to follow the example of Jesus and get up from supper. Get up from the Milo and the biscuits. Get up. Expose yourself a little bit in a safe way. Kneel down and make a difference where people are 
at. We are what we value. Across the road here, I have the honour of joining an amazing barber shop. If any man here is looking for a barber, across the road here at the Paul Kennedy shops, there's the best barber shop. It's called the Man's Barber. What a name, the Man's Barber. That's literally, and it's all capitals too. M-A-N-S, capital, the Man's Barber. I love it. And it's owned by a lady named Kim and Kim and I have gotten to know each other. <laughs> Wait for the catch. And it's amazing. I love it because I can walk in there and I, I know Kim well enough where she knows my head, where I don't tell her what I want. She looks at it and says, oh gosh, this is what you need. And so I'm grateful for Kim and her expertise because I have no idea what to do. She walked in this time. I'm going to tell her. She took one look at my beard and she said, oh my gosh, this is going to take work. <laughs> and we're talking and we're talking about what I do. She knows what we do. Yeah, and she's promised me one day she's going to attend church and I'll hold her to that because I go over there every six weeks. I should go over there more often. And we're talking about what she does and she talks to lots of people. We're talking about the brokenness in the world and she's talking about what she notices and what I notice and we're talking about what makes the difference, what, what brings change, what helps people grow. And she was telling me how she's been watching a show on Netflix, which is called To Live to a Hundred, The Secrets of the Blue Zones. A show I've not seen, but it's about, from what I understand, a documentary about certain parts of the world where people regularly live to 100 years old. And, and, and she asked me, she asked me, what, what do you reckon is the key ingredient to long life? And I'm there reclining as she's trimming the beard from off my face. And I say, I reckon it's diet. It's diet, isn't it? It's the food that they eat. No McDonald's, no KFC. They just chunk it down on almonds and prune juice, yeah? <laughs> and she stopped. Now, I don't know if you've had a conversation with your barber or your hairdresser before. Do you know how most of it happens in the mirror? Yeah, where they're looking at you through the mirror. Well, you know when you get in a serious conversation with your barber or your hairdresser where they stop looking at you in the mirror and they turn around to look at you eyes to eyes. And in that moment, she turned to me, looked at me eyes in the eyes and she said, it's not diet. Like she was shocked. She said it was community. She said the key ingredient that they've found in all these places is to the extent that people are willing to be known and to know others. When Jesus sat at the table, He was both known and allowed others to know Him. What if that is the key ingredient of a healthy church? What if that is integral in a culture where we're all too busy to cook dinner for ourselves and we're living off Uber? No shade here. I love Uber. Thank God for Uber. But we need to rebel against the culture that would pull us away from each other and create opportunities to come alongside to have supper, if that's all we can do. Come around for Milo. How can I serve you? How can I find out what you need? How can I connect with you along the way? We won't know unless we put ourselves in the position to do it. So that 100 year old thing hits close to the heart because my great grandmother, Ma, lived to see her 100th birthday. Amazing. And, and she, she was phenomenal. She, hold on, are you correcting me, my wife? She didn't live to be 100, she did. Yeah, 102nd, there we go. 
Yeah, you don't want to, you don't want to have correction and commentary when you're talking about things like that. Oh, oh, she, she lived to see 100. And I said to Rhiannon this morning as I was talking about, I, was, I said, I'm going to talk about Ma. Because she's the only person I know who's lived that long. And I said, can I say this to the church? And Rihanna said, oh, maybe not, but I'm going to say it anyway. Ma was amazing. She was so energetic and full of life and whimsical and random. And she was so tiny. She reminded me of Yoda from Star Wars. (laughs) And Ma would like that commentary. She was tiny. I towered over her. I loved getting to know her in her latter years of life. Our family had been separated and people given up for adoption. And so we didn't meet her till towards the end of her life. And she was amazing. She would walk into a room and light it up. Well, she wouldn't walk in, she'd waddle in, but she, she would get in there and she was amazing. And she's so full of life. And here's the thing about Ma. I remember talking to her and said, Ma, how have you lived so long? And she said it was diet. That's why I thought it was diet. Because she grew up on the coast of Tasmania. She said, must have been all the seafood that I was eating as I was growing up. But I think Ma was wrong. Because here's the Ma I got to meet. She would jet set all around Australia to visit family. And she was that type of person at 100 years old that would be on the plane and they would come along and offer the wheelchair. And she doesn't need it but she loved the idea of somebody pushing her around on that thing. (laughs) And so you would see her coming with a lovely steward pushing her along and with the biggest smile on her face. (laughs) I can still walk, but I'll take this. And when you sit down with her, she really wanted to know what was going on in your world. She lived to see a hundred. I think her secret ingredient was that she loved people. Church, I want to say, if you want to be great, wash feet. If you want to do amazing things, wash feet. There's another portion in the Scriptures where Jesus' disciples were walking around, talking amongst themselves. Now talking about what makes somebody great. Who is the greatest among them? Could you imagine that sort of conversation? That you're following Jesus and an argument breaks out in the group. I'm the best. No, I'm the best. Just imagine how childish this is. That is captured in the Scriptures, people. That is real stuff. And you know what? If I was walking with Jesus at that time, I don't know if I would have been beyond that myself. And they're breaking out. Who is the best among them? Who's got the best three-point shot? Who's got the best dunk? Who's got the best drive? Who can do the most stuff? Who's the most gifted? And Jesus gets wind of this. And I wanna read to you Jesus' response to this. It comes out of Mark chapter 10, verse 42. It says, Jesus called them over. And just imagine He's been watching this happen. And I love this about Jesus. He doesn't interject Himself. He allows things to play out. And then when that calm hits, come over. It says, Jesus called them over and said to them, you know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles, Gentiles are anybody who was not Jewish by birth, lorded over them. And those in high positions act as tyrants over them. But it is not so among you. On the contrary, whoever wants to become great among you will be your servant. And whoever wants to be first among you will be a slave to all. For even the Son of Man, Jesus is talking about Himself, did not come to be served, but to serve and to give His life as a ransom for many. 
You want to be great? Serve well. You want to be amazing? Give what you've got. You want to win at life? Don't hoard it all. Look for ways to invest. You know, I was talking to some friends in Cambodia the other day. We support a church and a part of the capital city of Phnom Penh called Phnom Penh Tamai, New Life Fellowship. And they've just built a new building, a beautiful building. And if you were to go there today, you'd see as you walked up to this building that seats 500 people now, has a dormitory, has a program, a medical care system built in. That if you were to pull up at this church, what you'd see first and foremost is a long extended area that is given over to soccer fields. Like really good soccer fields with astroturf and the lines marked out and excellent quality uh, 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 goalposts and balls and everything. It's the sort of stuff that a poor Cambodian growing up on the street, kicking around trash would dream to be a part of. And so the church built this for the community. They built it because they offer every single night free soccer competitions for anybody that wants to sign up. And it all started because of an American guy who was a member of that church who moved over, who married a young Cambodia and has given his life to Cambodia. His name is William. William went into business because he realised that he wasn't gifted to be a pastor. He wasn't gifted to be a preacher or a teacher. He was gifted to make money. That was his gift. And he started building up a business in Phnom Penh as a foreigner as somebody who's brought into a system where there's filled with corruption and bribes and he just had to pray and get on his knees to see things broken through. And he persevered and he started a, a, a real estate development business that started to take off and was booming even during COVID. And he made so much money that he bought this church for the church. And he paid for a soccer field out the front. Talk about being great. He will never preach in there. He will not be somebody who gets up and leads worship. He will not be somebody who even feels comfortable being up front to pray for people. But yet he used his gifts and his abilities and he gave of himself. You want to be great, serve God. Can I invite the team to come and join me to bring this to a close of what it means to be at the table? We are not above service. There's another scripture here of Jesus at the table. Two scriptures I just want to finish with and then I want to open up a request. See, I think at the end of the day, living life at the table with Jesus means that we choose to be people that put value on others above ourselves. That we choose to say, I'm not above service. That we choose to say, I will follow the one who is worthy of being followed. What if a great life is found in encountering Jesus for yourself? In John chapter 12, before Jesus had had a meal or supper and got down and washed the feet of His disciples, there'd been another meal. Seems like He did a lot of this. And in this particular meal, He's at the house of some friends some friends who had experienced amazing miracles through His work. And He's reclining with them. And it says in John chapter 12, verse 1 to 3, Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, the one Jesus had raised from the dead. Man, now that is a story. 
So they gave a dinner for him there. Martha was serving them. That's Lazarus's sister. And Lazarus was one of those reclining at the table with him. Then Mary, the other sister, took a pound of perfume, pure and expensive nard, anointed Jesus' feet and wiped His feet with her hair. So the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. Before Jesus had washed the feet of His disciples, one of those who had encountered Him, who had chosen to follow Him for herself, took it upon herself to give everything that she had in that moment to express her love for Him. She washed His feet with her hair. And here's the thing I wanna say to you, Jesus did not demand it. He did not expect it. He did not say, this is what you must do to follow me. This is a response of the heart. What if Jesus is so compelling, so worth it, so amazing, that the overwhelming response, if you get to know Him for yourself, even if you've known Him and lost sight of Him, but if you really get to know Him for yourself, that you can't help but live a life that gives because you know He's worth it. And if you know He's worth it, then you're worth it too. That He would give to you everything that He would have to give so that you can play it on, pay it forward, pay life forward. Let's be a church that takes ground through seeing needs and meeting needs, through making a difference, through not talking it, but doing it. She wasn't sitting at the table reclining, thinking to herself, oh man, it would be good to do this. She got up, she went to a room, she pulled out the perfume that was expensive. Expensive nard. Nard's a thing. I've no idea what nard is. It's good stuff. She broke it out, she poured it out, but then she used her hair. Oh, how worthy is Jesus. I wanna tell you, if you wanna live a life of worth, find the one who is worthy of following. Let Him define your worth. I'll finish with this. This is who this one Jesus is that we get to sit at the table of life with. There's a book called Philippians with a writer who is starting churches in places that are hostile territory, places where people are killing, people who choose to follow Jesus. And he says this, think of the boldness to say this stuff. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, consider others as more important than yourselves. Everyone should look not to his own interests, but rather the interests of others. Adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus, who existing in the form of God, did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited. Instead, He emptied Himself by assuming the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity. And when He had come as a man, He humbled Himself by becoming obedient to the point of death even to death on a cross. For this reason, God highly exalted Him and gave Him the name that is above every other name. So the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. 
I want to say this to you today. If you want to be great, and you should, you should want to be great. Don't think so low of yourself that you want to hold yourself in check. Humility is not putting a dampener on your gifts and abilities. Humility is simply not making that your identity. Do not hold yourself back because here's the truth. The one who laid everything down for you wants to lift you up in Him. The one who was willing to take the price that we could never pay ourselves. Jesus Christ of Nazareth is the one who right now today wants to wash your feet. He wants to wash your feet so that you can go out into life. Wherever you tread ground, you can wear the boots of the Gospel. Wherever you tread ground, you can crush Satan under your feet because the God of peace is leading the way. There is more to do and more to give. And I wanna put this to you, God is not done with you yet. God is not done with us yet. A local church is called to be an outpost, a city on the hill that is taking ground. Here's how we'll take ground. We will serve outstandingly well. We will humble ourselves. We will take off our outer garments. We will get down on our knees and we'll meet people where they're at to see a difference change and impact their lives. And here's the deal. You've got to choose to be a part of it, to be in it. Everything in the Kingdom of God is freedom of choice. You must choose to be a part of it, to be in it. And I want to submit to you today. We're going to finish at the table with Gordon and Joe Moore here. I wanna submit to you today, why not be great, serve well? Carly's life was changed. When this was no longer their church, it became her church. But it wasn't about the building, it was about the people that she started making a difference in. You can make a difference. I wanna just put this to you. So we seal the deal on the service today. I'm gonna open up the front section of the church. We call this the altar. There's nothing special about this, it's just carpet. But it is an opportunity for people to come forward and respond. Because again, everything in the Kingdom of God depends on free choice. What are you responding to? In a moment, I'm gonna open the front here, the altar, and invite people that feel they need prayer or would like prayer for us as a team to pray with you. But before I get there, Could I be so bold as to ask you to close your eyes? Just to take a deep breath and allow the Holy Spirit to speak into your heart. And I wanna say to you today, before we move on, if you have not crossed over the line of faith for yourself and chosen to encounter this one called Jesus, I wanna let you know that He is seated at the table and He's ready to receive you. And it becomes a matter of surrender and choice. What will you choose to do? In a moment, I'm gonna give you an invitation if that's you today and you have not chosen yet to step over and to encounter God for yourselves. We cannot move past this service without giving an invitation. And I don't care if nobody responds. We do this because this is one of the most important privileges we have as a church to invite people to encounter God for themselves. And it begins, it doesn't end, it begins with an acknowledgement that I need You, Jesus. It begins with this idea that it's, in Scripture it's called repentance and repentance is not a dirty word. Repentance is in fact ownership. Ownership for everything that I am in my world and everything that I have. 
Repentance is this idea that I will now stop following after myself and I'll choose to follow after another. I will follow Jesus. Because as you follow Jesus, you become who you were created to be. He calls you to a higher way of life, to be more than you could ever be before. Thanks for listening to this message. We hope it has blessed you. If you would like to find out more about Awaken City Church, visit awakencity.com.au.